Next, I'm going to be inviting up Tom Nesbitt. Uh, you guys are in for a treat this morning. Uh, Tom is one of the founding pastors of the SALT Network, which Anthem is a part of. And uh, Tom and his wife, Marie, have been married for 63 years. Uh, yes. And uh, Tom has uh, been a pastor since he was 16, so 67 years. 67 years. Uh, and so, uh, Tom, uh, I got to spend yesterday afternoon with him, and it was just, it was a blast. It was an incredible encouragement. And so I'm excited to, for you guys to be able to hear him today. I also actually spent a day this week with Tom's son, uh, Troy, who many of you may know, who's the president of the network. And uh, so I got in a double helping of the uh, Nesbitt men this week. And I will tell you, it is just the legacy and their family, their love for the Lord, and the fact that some of his message today will just capture um, his heart and how the God's, God's been at work in his heart. So I'm excited to just for you to hear that. So Tom, do you mind if I pray for you before you get going? All right. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for Tom, and Lord, I thank you for the message that you've laid upon his heart. Lord, we ask that you would speak powerfully through your word. Spirit, would you come into this place, and would you do the work that only you can do? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel that in the face of bitterness, uh, Lord, the bitterness of our sin, we have the sweetness of Christ. And so, Lord, would you point us to him this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a brand new Bible. And on page one, it says, in the beginning, God. And on page one, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Who was God talking to? God the Father was talking to God the Son, talking to God the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrew word for that word God, the little word God, is Elohim. And that's the triangle at the top of your page, if you look at it. And it says... At the end of chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image. And he made him male and female. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says how he made man. Verse 7, he scooped up the dirt and he made a man and he called him Adam. And he breathed the spirit into him and he became a living soul. And that's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And as you look at that sheet, <clears throat> then God told Adam to go to sleep. And while he was asleep, he took a rib and he made a woman. And in the early part of Genesis, he brought her to the man. And my son Harold thinks she woke him up. And when she woke him up, he looked at her and he says in 2.25 of Genesis, Abba, Abba. And what that means is, hubba, hubba, God, this is a great idea. <laughs> and God put two trees in the center of the garden, a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In 2.17, God said, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Well, the devil showed up. He's the first sinner. And he approached Eve. And he tempted her the way all of us are tempted. 
The lust of the flesh, I want to do that. The lust of the eyes, I want to have that. The pride of life, look at me, I'm somebody. And what he did was raise questions in Eve's mind about God. And she wanted to be like God, like the devil, who was the worship leader of heaven, wanted to be like God. He wanted equal say with God. And when he five times said, I will, I will, I will, he asserted his will against God's will. That's what made him a devil. And when Eve reached out and took the tree because she wanted to be like God, knowing experientially good and evil, she became the first human sinner. And where was Adam? He stood right there. He didn't say, no, woman, don't do that. And she took the tree and gave it to him. And even though she chose to chew the tree first, Romans 5 says, in Adam, not Eve, all died. And God said, the day you eat that tree, you will surely die. Did they die that day? You raise your hand. How many of you believe they died that day? One, two, three. How many of you believe they didn't die that day? How many of you don't know what they did that day? <laughs> well, let me tell you, whatever God says happens. They didn't die physically. Adam and Eve lived 930 years before they died physically. But as soon as they took that tree... They died spiritually. They were separated from God. They died immediately in their spirit. Gradually they degenerated in their soul. And finally they died in their body 930 years later. So God covered them with lambskin, put them out of the garden... And outside the garden, he said something to Adam, something to Eve, and then he said to the devil, You devil, because you've done this, on your belly you shall go, and one day the seed of woman, and you ought to put a cross in your Bible right by Genesis 3, 15. It says the seed of woman will come and stomp your head, Satan. But when he does, you will bruise his heel. Now, every one of you in this room this morning is a seed of a man. I'm the seed of a man. You're the seed of a man. All of you lovely ladies, you're the seed of a man. All of you men, you're the seed of a man. But one man was born of this world who was the seed of a woman. Who was that? What's his name? Jesus. And Isaiah 7 says, he was, a virgin will conceive, bring forth the son, you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9 says, the kingdom will be on his shoulders and he will be called counselor and mighty God and everlasting father. And Isaiah 52 says, that when they get through beating up on Jesus, you won't even recognize him as a human being. 
And Isaiah 53 says that all we like sheep have gone astray, turned every one to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it's the greatest story ever told. All the Old Testament, old is three letters, testament is nine letters, three times three, nine, that's how many books in the Old Testament. And if you open your Bible in the middle or between the testaments, all the 39 books of the Old Testament point to the cross. Jesus is coming. And all the Old Testament people looked forward to the cross, believed, and became right with God. Three times nine is 27. That's how many books in the New Testament. And all of the New Testament looks back to the Old Testament and looks back to the cross. And we believe, and because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And that's what that first page is about. The Bible teaches us that the first word of the gospel, you tell me what's the first word of the gospel, the good news. What is it? You're afraid to say or you don't know? Repent. Say it with me. Repent. And, I, and Romans chapter 14, verse 9 says, To this end, Christ lived and died and rose again that he might be Lord, not Savior, Lord. Now, how many of you this morning would say, Pastor Tom, I have repented that was the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth. Repent. He prepared the way for Christ. When Jesus started preaching, the first word out of his mouth, Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Peter stood upon the day of Pentecost, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And Paul, when he stood up on Mars Hill, said, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the peace of the earth. And he calls men everywhere to repent. And Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, the word says in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, I think, that they called men everywhere to repent. So you tell me, what's the first word of the gospel? Repent. What does repent mean? means to change your mind, change your attitude, and surrender your will to Jesus Christ. Now, some people believe about Jesus with their mind. That's an intellectual faith. The devils do that. If you just believe in Jesus intellectually, that'll never get you to heaven. If you have nice feelings toward Jesus, that'll never get you to heaven. A lot of people have nice feelings about Jesus. Repentance means to change your mind, change your attitude, realize I was going this way and I turn and I follow Jesus Christ. What it means, I surrender my will to Jesus and he sends his spirit to come and live in my spirit 
and reverse what Adam and Eve lost when they sinned in the garden. And immediately, John 3, 6 says, you're born again, not in your body. When I was born again, I had hair on my body. <laughs> now I'm bald. Leviticus says he may be bald, but he's clean. <laughs> when I got born again, I didn't get born again in my body. My body's continued to deteriorate and go closer to the dirt for 83 years. I didn't get born again in my body. I didn't get born again in my soul. I still don't always think pure thoughts. I still don't have righteous attitudes. I still don't obey everything that the Word of God says. But that's a process that's been going on since the day at the age of 14. I took the step on a hillside at a youth camp. And I surrendered my will to Jesus Christ. I had believed about him all my life. I had nice feelings toward him all my life. But on this hillside, I heard a man preach about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus was the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, the life. And no man comes to the God of heaven except through Jesus. And for the first time, the Holy Spirit helped me to understand that I needed to repent, change my mind, and quit just believing about Jesus, change my attitude, and quit just feeling toward Jesus, but to surrender my will to Jesus. And he invited us to come off the hillside and kneel by a campfire and receive Jesus Christ into our spirit and be born again by the Spirit of God. And that's what I did at the age of 14. A Christian girl left her job downtown at the bank and came to work at the country club where I worked. I was 14 years old. She was 19 years old. She talked me into going to church with her on Sunday nights. Finally, she talked me into going to this youth camp. And at this youth camp, I had always thought my life was on a balance scale. And if I did a little more good over here than bad over there, then God would accept me. On the basis of my goodness, a little more over here. I didn't know that Jesus said his standard is absolute perfection. You don't have it. I don't have it. He's the only one who ever did. He was a baby and a boy and a man, and he never sinned once. So he could go to the cross in his perfection and propitiate or die for your sin and my sin. And God put all our sins on Jesus, and then God hit him so he didn't have to hit us and send us to hell which every man, woman, boy, and this girl in this room deserves. Well, I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. My dad moved to Clovis, New Mexico from Texas. His baby died. His crop got hailed out. 
and his house burned down. And he turned to the bottle instead of to the Bible. And he moved from the farm in Texas to Clovis, New Mexico, where I was born. And I was one of 11 children, number eight of 11. And when this Christian girl came to the country club where I worked and began to try to encourage me to go to church, which I did on Sunday nights because I worked on Sunday and then to go to this youth camp, I didn't think my boss would let me off, but he did. And at that youth camp, best I knew, I surrendered everything I knew about me to everything I understood about Jesus Christ, and he sent the Holy Spirit to come and live in my human spirit, and for the first time in my life, I had peace deep within my spirit. Up to that time, being raised in a Roman Catholic father's home, he got drunk. And he went to the priest, and he had me christened like he did all the others. It didn't help me. It didn't hurt me. He was trying to do something spiritual for me. And I appreciate that. But I slept on the same bed with two, three brothers. And many a night, I woke up in the night thinking, I was wading water, and I was making water on myself, urinating on myself and my brothers. And many a night, I was out in this field, and there were snakes everywhere, and I hate snakes. And it was, I was going through DTs, and I've never been drunk in my life. And the worst nightmare I had that my head was on the guillotine, and just before they chopped the rope and the blade came down and cut my head off, I got a foot in the face from one of those brothers, and I fell off on the floor, and I woke up just sweating and perspiring. Oh, I almost got my head cut off. And those horrible nightmares continued in my life for years. And as an age of 14 at this youth camp, when I heard the gospel and I walked off and put my trust in Jesus Christ, I had peace and those horrible nightmares went away. But when I went down the hill to 510 Hall Street, close to Mexico, guess who still lived there? My dad. And he's still fussing and cussing and abusing my mother. And no one knew how to help me, and I didn't know how to be discipled by anybody. And in my heart, I said, I will never be like that old man. Well, guess what? He had seven boys. Guess which one looked most like him? Handsome dude, wasn't he? <laughs> I said I'd never be like him. 
When I took my wife home to meet him and my mother, she hugged him and kissed him. And on the way back to our college, I said, we don't hug that old man. And she said, well, I do. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to act like it. Such a woman. But when I went down that hill, my dad still lived there. And even though I had peace in my spirit, I had this cancer growing in my soul. And I want you to look at that barrier that was in my soul on page two. It was the barrier of bitterness. And I spent 20 years as a Christian, 18 years as a pastor, 14 years married before I ever dealt with this cancer in my soul. And then I heard this message on forgiveness. Matthew 6, Jesus said, pray like this. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass and sin against us. And when I heard that message on forgiveness... It was like God said, Tom, that's the way you prayed the Lord's Prayer since you were 14 years old and you met Jesus and he came to live in your spirit. And Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. And I didn't forgive my father. In fact, I took up offense against him for my mother's sake. And you know, the people that hurt you, God gives them grace to stop and to ask forgiveness for hurting you. And the people that get hurt, God gives them grace to forgive whoever hurts you so that they can be reconciled. But if you stick your nose in, and you weren't a part of the hurting, or you weren't a part of the hurt, you don't get any grace. And the worse my daddy treated my mother, the sweeter she became, more like Jesus. And the worse we kids became because we took up offense against dad for our mother's sake. And I had that cancer growing in me until I heard this message one night out of Matthew 18. And I want you to look at that with me. In Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter said to the Lord, Lord, 
If I forgave somebody seven times like the Pharisees teach, that would be a lot, wouldn't it? And Jesus said, no, Peter, you should forgive how many times? Seventy times seven. And I asked my wife one day, I said, honey, what do you think Jesus meant by that? And he, she said, Tom, nobody sins against you 490 times, but when they hurt you deep enough, you remember it 490 times. And I think God wants you to forgive it every time you remember it. Whew. And I'm asking you this morning as Anthem Church to walk through this with me. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you a story. And in Matthew 18, he tells the story about a man that went to the master and he asked forgiveness for a $10 million debt. And the man looked at him and said, yeah, you don't have $10 million. You probably never will get $10 million, so yeah, I just forgive you. And then that man went out from the master, and he found a guy on the street that owed him $14. And he said, please forgive me. And the man said, you don't have $14? And he grabbed him by the throat, and he carried him off to jail, and he threw him in prison. And the servants came and said to the master, Master, you know that guy yesterday you forgave $10 million? He took a guy to jail today for 14 bucks. And the master said to the servants, Bring him. And he said, Yesterday I forgave you $10 million. How much more should you have forgiven that man the $14 that he owes you? And then he said to the servants, deliver him over to the torturers. And then Jesus finished Matthew 18 with these words. I want you to listen to them. Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything he owed. And also, my heavenly Father said, Jesus will do this unto you unless you forgive your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, whoever hurts you from your heart, from your emotions. And young people, older people alike, I want you to know that all of us have been hurt and I'm asking you to trace your hurts, face your hurts, trace your hurts, embrace your hurts. I used to think that meant this guy died and went to hell, but I was one of them, a pastor, that had suffered hurts in my youth and I had never fully forgiven my father. And so I heard this message on forgiveness 
And whatever your hurts are, maybe somebody raped you, maybe somebody got a divorce and wounded you and split your family apart, maybe somebody ran up with your mate. It doesn't make any difference what the hurts are. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. If you don't forgive the hurts, it hinders your prayer life. You can't get through to God. It hinders your love life. I couldn't love my wife and my children like I wanted to because I didn't forgive my father like he commanded me to. And I was a pastor. I should have known these things, but I didn't. And this cancerous root of bitterness grew in my heart for 20 years as a Christian until I heard this message on forgiveness. And after I heard this message on forgiveness, I went home and the Lord started talking to me. And he said, Tom, are you glad you're a Christian? I said, yes. Are you glad you're going to heaven when you die? I said, yes. Are you glad I let you meet Mary Marie when she was 19 and you were 20 years old? I didn't want to have a teenage marriage, so I got married on my 20th birthday, December 27, 1957. Yes, 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 God. He said, are you glad that I let you become a preacher when you were 15 and a pastor when you were 16, Mary Marie when you're 20, all of these things, and I'm saying, I'm crying, and I'm saying, yes, 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 Lord. And then the Lord asked me one more question. Tom, which of these things would have been possible that you're so grateful for if it hadn't been for Paul Nesbitt, your dad, <laughs> the very man I most hated was the very man I should have been most thankful for. Because if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't be here talking to you this day. If it hadn't been for him, and he hadn't come together with my mother, and a million particles swim out of him that fertilized one egg in my mother that resulted in me. And I didn't realize it until then, as I began to weep on the floor that day. All bitterness ultimately is against God. And I thought it was just my dad that I was mad at. But I lived in torture and torment. The scripture says, with an angry man you shall not go, lest you become like him. My dad was an angry man. And I became an angry man. I preached mad. I used to wonder how drunks like my dad raised preachers like me, and preachers like me raised drunks like my dad. The scripture says the sins of parents are visited on children to the third and fourth generation, but the blessing of parents is visited to a thousand generations of those that love me, saith the Lord. Well, when I went home from that camp where I met the Lord, I had such a passion for I didn't even know how to read, but I had such a passion for God's word then I started reading the Bible, and it started talking back to me because the Spirit of God lives in me. And he said, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the Word. And one of the evidences that you're a Christian is that you have a hunger 
for God's Word. And I had that hunger for God's Word. But my dad started cussing me for reading the Bible. And that affirmed, again, I'll never be like that old man. But after I heard that message on forgiveness down on the floor, I began to cry. And for the first time in my life, I thanked God for my dad. And I had him in my heart behind prison doors. And he said, Tom, when you came to me 20 years ago and asked my forgiveness at the cross, I didn't say, no, Father, send him to hell. Tom deserves to go to hell for nailing me to the cross. No, you said, Father, forgive Tom. He doesn't know what he was doing. And then you left the cross where you received my forgiveness. And there was your daddy, and all he owed you was $14 compared to what you owed me. And you put him in prison in your heart. And you said, I'll never be like him. And Romans 2, 1 says, you criticize others, you end up doing the same thing. And people would say, Tom, you're just like your dad. How did that happen? I said, no. The people who hurt you and you don't forgive, you stick to them like Velcro. And it takes 20 years and you become like them instead of like him. And so I, even though I was a preacher of the gospel, even though dad drank so much you could float a ship in it, you could put all the alcohol I ever consumed in less than a half can of beer. He cussed like everything. He abused my mother. When I was 11 years old, I came home from the golf course one day and caught him being unfaithful to my mother. And I've been faithful to my wife for 64 years. But God said, you criticize others, you end up doing the same thing because you're stuck to them like Velcro until you make the choice to forgive them. And that bitterness cancer so ate away at my soul as a pastor. My children began to turn away from the Lord. They didn't honor me. And God showed me you don't honor your father's position in your life. I didn't think I had to honor my father's position in my life because I couldn't honor his personality. I couldn't honor his performance. I couldn't honor his practice. But God in his word commanded me, honor your father and your mother. But God, he's not honorable. Well, I want you to honor his position in your life and I used him to get you here so you could come to know me so I could use you to get him here so he could come to know me. Turn about fair play. And down on the floor as I cried for two hours that day, I asked God to cut the cancer out of my heart. And I took the prison doors open and I set my dad free. And I forgave that guy in the church that tried to sexually molest me. And I forgave my brothers and I forgave those kids at school that laughed at me when I stood up and tried to read. And they thought it was funny because I called that what and which where and who when. And I didn't know how to read at 14. 
And now I learned how to read, reading the Bible, and I become a preacher at 15 instead of a golf player, and I became a pastor at 16 and married Marie at 20. But down on the floor here at the age of 34, I cry my heart out to God, and I say, God, I thought I was just bitter at my dad, but I was bitter at you for using that man to get me here. I was such a fool, blinded by the devil, hindered my prayer life, hindered my love life. When I went to bed with my wife, I took my daddy to bed with us because whenever you have someone you don't choose to forgive, you stick to them like Velcro, and in 20 years you become like them instead of like him, which is the purpose of life, is that we become like God, like Jesus. And everything that's happened in your past is not your problem. God wanted to use whatever happened in your past, whatever pain and suffering it is, to help you to be, respond with grace so you become like his son and so you could be physically healthy. But bitterness blocks your prayer life. Bitterness blocks your love life. Bitter will bitterness will finally destroy your health. And that cancer was going in my soul until I took the steps that are written on the back of that paper. And that day on the floor, I got up on the cross with Jesus and I said, Father, as you forgive me, I forgive my daddy. And for the first time in life, I thank God for my father. But then the next page says, not only forgive the pain of your past, but be reconciled with those that you have broken relationship with as much as it's possible. So I called my daddy up and I said, Dad, this is Tom. I've finally come to realize how wrong I've been in my relationship with you. I've not honored you like I should have. Would you please forgive me? Oh, boy, you don't need to do that. Yes, God has shown me that I should, Dad. And it means so much if you would forgive me. And then I called all my siblings and asked their forgiveness. And my youngest brother called my wife and said, Is old Tom losing his mind? And she said, No, Tim. He's in a lot of pain right now, but he's the healthiest I've ever known him to be. And I called all my brothers and sisters and asked their forgiveness. And nine months later, we end up at Christmas, and they're always at Christmas, would be fussing and feuding and fighting and all kind of everybody go home mad. But that Christmas, because I'd called everyone and sought their forgiveness, they called each other and sought forgiveness. And I got to preach to 37 members of my family. And since that time, Many of my family have repented and turned their life over to Christ. And when I got right with my father and started going home and saying, Dad, you want a cup of coffee? I went and got it. Dad, let me have your keys. I'm going to go wash your car. I washed his car. Dad, I'm going out to mow your grass. You may put the air conditioner in the window. And when I began to serve my daddy, his heart softened. And one Christmas, he knelt by the couch, and he prayed with me to receive Christ. And he stood up to confess Jesus Christ 
as his Lord. But that's not the greatest blessing I got out of that. When I started honoring my father's position in my life and treating him like a Christian, like my wife did when she first met him, then God put pressure on my children to be, to be honoring to their mother and me. And Exodus 34, 7 says, The sins of parents are visited on the children to third and fourth generation, but the blessing of the Lord is visited on the children to a thousand generations of those who love me, saith the Lord. I have three children. Both my sons are preachers. I didn't want to be like my drunk dad. Both of my boys wanted to be like me and are great men of God. My daughter is more like Jesus than any woman I know. And we have 16 grandchildren, and we have 26 great-grandchildren, and we have number 27 on the way, and a lot of my grandkids aren't even married yet, and I'm counting on that thousand generations of blessing for those who know me, Lord, that, that know me, saith the Lord. But I had to get the cancer out of my heart, bitterness, and say this with me. Bitterness is not a bitterness. All bitterness is against God, ultimately. And say this with me. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. And that day down on the floor, when I chose to forgive my father, and then when I let all those people out of jail and set them free. When I got up off the floor that day, I was a man broken in a thousand pieces. But guess who else was free? I was free to pray and get through to God. I was free to love my wife without my daddy in between. And I was free to be healthy and make it to be 83 years old. And then God said, a clear conscience, so you avoid shipwreck. So I called my dad and got right with him, and I called my mother, and I thanked her for carrying me nine months before I was born, and I called all my siblings and made it right with them. And then the next pillar, I learned how to walk in faith, to be under authority so you can be in authority, and those principles are clearly enunciated in this little booklet, and it's the secret pillars of a changed life. No bitterness, you turn it to forgiveness. No guilt, which resists, which quenches the Holy Spirit, and no stubbornness, so that you submit yourselves at home to the authorities in your home, at church to the elders in your church, out in the government to the authorities in the government, unless they ask you to do something that contradicts God's word, then you have to make a godly appeal with the right attitude and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that, I may suffer, but I must obey God rather than man. And dear people, this is the secret of a holy, happy life. And God calls all of us church members to that. I wonder how many of you would raise your hand and say, Tom, 
I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. How many of you can do that? Would you raise your hand and say it with me? Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now that's how you become a Christian, by grace. But now if Jesus is your Lord, he wants you to live an abundant life. So when you're hurt, you don't grieve the Spirit, you forgive it. When you do wrong, you not only ask God to forgive you, but you go ask the people you've offended to forgive you, even if you were only 10% wrong. And then when you're stubborn, you yield your will to the God-ordained authorities in your life so there's no bitterness in your feelings, there's no guilt in your mind, there's no stubbornness in your will, and this is my life message, and it served me well in the church as a leader of God's family. How many of you would say, I needed this message this morning? Would you raise your hand? Look around. Forgiveness is not a what? Not a feeling. It's a what? Choice. choice. How many of you this morning will make the choice to take the convict numbers off of the people that hurt you and set them free? We'll take the bars out from in front of them and set them free. It's the only way you can be free. You can't get unstuck from whoever hurts you so you can be free to become like Jesus unless you choose to forgive them. And I pray this morning you'll make that choice. And then that you'll go back and say, hey, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I want a clear conscience not only with God but with you. And then that you'll learn to submit to the God-ordained authorities in your life so you can walk in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. How many of you would raise your hand and say, Tom, <laughs> I've been hurt, and I'm making the choice right now before the Lord to fully thank God for who hurt me and to fully forgive them, even as Jesus forgave me. Would you raise your hand and let me for you? I mean it this morning, Lord. I'm fully forgiving whoever it was, my former husband, my daddy, my mother, my whoever. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. How many of you say, there are some people I hurt and I need to go ask their forgiveness and by God's grace, I'll go humble myself to them and tell them I was wrong according to the instructions of this paper and I'll ask their forgiveness. Would you raise your hand and let And then I hope you'll study that last sheet and ask God to help you to understand how to be under authority so you're in authority. Heavenly Father, I pray for these who have raised their hand this morning. And I pray for this church. The pain, the agony, the struggle that they've been going through, I pray that they will trust you, that they will fully forgive whatever hurts may be involved, 
that they'll fully confess their own failure and their own sin, and they'll fully submit to the God-ordained leadership and order in this church so that they're free to be the church member that you want them to be and the effective mother and father at home, mother and daughter, or daughter and son at home, and citizen in the society, and that this church will be filled with people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they don't grieve him by their bitterness, and they don't quench him by their guilt, and they don't resist him by their stubbornness, but they walk in freedom and do not shipwreck their future because they allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of every area of their soul and their body and their spirit. For the glory of one name, Jesus Christ, and I pray in that name, Heavenly Father, amen and amen and amen.